I'm going to be talking mostly about carrots. Um, that's just my biggest root crop that I do. So majority of this is going to be about carrots. And then at the end, we'll talk about beets and other root crops that I grow and just touch on the things that are different about those. So I'm not going to be talking about potatoes or things like that. It's just it's going to be on carrots and beets and turnips and those kind of root crops. All right, so first thing that we're going to be doing for carrots is obviously going to be preparing your beds, preparing your planting space. Um, and for carrots, you got the root. So you're always going to want to broad fork your bed. You're always going to have a deep tillage, a deep loosening before you do carrots because of those deep roots. So every bed, you're going to want to broad fork before you plant any carrots. And then you're going to prepare your bed. You're going to rake your bed, get it smooth for your seeding. Um, so get all your rocks out, all your dead detritus, anything from your previous planting that you've had there, and get them smooth beds for planting. And then you're going to amend, depending on where you are. I'm not going to get into amending because it's going to be different for your soil, for um, wherever you are. So then with carrots, the biggest, the biggest enemy is going to be weeds. So. Ideally, you're going to do a stale seed bed, and this is something that we are not perfect with yet. Um, I still have yet to really get a good stale seed bed. My goal would be to have your beds prepared and ready for seeding a month before you seed. So that takes a little bit of planning and a little bit of empty space. Um, I would say I haven't done it more than two weeks. Um, and I mean, anything you do is going to help, but a month would be my goal. So you're going to do all your preparation. Your, your bed is going to be ready to seed a month before you do it. And then you'll put on sprinklers um, to try and get weed germination going. And then there's a few methods that you can do. Flame weeding is going to be probably the easiest. Um, so you're going to use a pyro weeder um, and, and hit your beds with a flame weeder and then repeat your cycle. So you would flame weed them and then you would water them again and leave them for another, usually you would leave them for a week um, or so until you get just little weeds. You don't want, you know, grass or anything, but until they're coming up enough to, to be killed. So you repeat that cycle. So the, the flame weeding is going to be the easiest way to do it. And then the other struggle um, is that once you do this a few times, you will end up getting a bit of a crust. Um, and you, wanna, you want to... Do you want to flame weed or do something right before you plant so that you're planting into soil that's just been um, 
you know, you've just killed the weeds. But if you flame weed it, if it's kind of dried out and you flame weed it, you've got this crust that's kind of a pain to plant into. So what I did this last year um, that I felt worked really good was I did the flame weeding and then when it came to planting, I, after like a week before I was gonna plant, I flame weeded, did the watering again, and then I put a tarp on it, a silage tarp, um, covered the whole beds with that. And then that will kill your weeds. Um, and then you will also, it will also really like loosen your ground. And so you'll have a moist bed to plant in um, when you pull that off and you go to plant. So the next uh, topic would be on cedars. Um, for the last, for the previous, uh, I don't know, couple years, I always used the six row cedar, the Johnny six row cedar. And um, most, of, most of the carrots I would plant six rows per bed, so I would skip um, every other seeding um, hopper. So you'd only put your seeds in every other hopper and do three rows or six rows per bed. So the advantage of, oh, I guess I was supposed to talk about the Jang cedar. The advantage of the six row cedar um, is that you go down your bed, you go back and you're done. Um, and it's a lot quicker. So you're seeding three, three rows at the same time. I've done 12 rows per bed and I had good carrots, but it's probably um, a little bit less ideal. You can tend to just have real small carrots that don't size up. Um, so the, the advantage with that cedar is going to be that you go down your bed, you come back, you're done. You only do two passes and it's pretty quick. But the disadvantage is that it's very, very finicky as far as the soil that you plant in. So if you have any rocks that are bigger than a quarter, it's going to catch them and it's going to either pull them up in the wheel and stop it or they'll get stuck between the little um, plant, the seeding furrow things and you'll end up being like a bulldozer and just catching all kind of stuff and pushing it. Um, same thing with any kind of um, leftover crop, you know, anything that's any kind of stringy, um, it's just gonna catch in those little furrow things. So it has to have a very, very perfect bed. You gotta rake your bed perfectly. And then the other thing is with um, moisture. If, if your soil is too dry, it won't give enough resistance to spin the, the, the roller, the back roller um, has a belt on it which spins your seating your dibbler bar that's underneath the hoppers. And so if your soil is too dry, it won't give resistance. It'll just kind of like skid in the dust. And if it's too wet, it'll gum up. Um, so I mean, it's not like, you don't have to be like exactly perfect, but it is pretty, pretty finicky. So if you've got good soil, you know, getting the, getting the right moisture isn't really that big of a deal, but it is something to think about. So if you have good soil, it's really quick cedar. The Jang um, is one, one seeding row per pass. You can 
have multiple ones like um, put together, but they're pretty expensive, so to have multiple cedars together. And I don't know how close you can go if you've got them gained together. Anyway, but it'll seed in most soil. So, you know, it's got bigger wheels. Um, it's just got the one furrowing mechanism. Um, there's nothing for rocks to get caught up in. Um, it's still, you know, you still have to, you can't seed when it's too wet. Any seeder is going to gum up if it's too wet. So, I, this last fall when I was seeding, I kind of was stuck to a window of pretty muddy um, beds because it was just the only time I had to seed. And it was a bit of a pain because the plate that is supposed to be covering your seeds would just get full of mud and all. But overall, it's a much, a much uh, more versatile seeder. But you have to go back and forth and it takes a lot longer. Um, you can only, doing nine rows per bed is pretty, pretty pushing it. Um, I still have to really learn how to, how to get a real good bed with it. But, you know, it works fine whether your rows are perfectly straight or not. But um, I did do seven rows per bed on most of, most of the carrots. I did try nine on some of them and I tried five on some of them. And there wasn't, I didn't notice a huge difference on the carrot size, um, but doing nine is really hard with the, with the Jang cedar. So I'll probably be sticking to seven rows per bed with that. Um, a, a spacing um, kind of idea is an inch, a one and a half square inch per carat. Um, that's a spacing I think JM has in his book. So just a way to keep that in mind. So seeding dates, um, it's going to depend, you know, on where you are and your temperatures and all. But for us, February to middle of June, middle of March, we're going to be planting, we're going to be seeding inside the hoop houses um, and getting the the earliest carrots that we can. Um, Mid-March through April, we're going to be seeding outside. Um, after April, it starts just getting too hot for, for the carrots in our area. Um, so then we would take a break, and then we would start again um, middle of July through August. Um, I, in the fall, I haven't really done like succession planting a lot because um, all of my carrots are pretty much overwintered. So I'm not like harvesting, you know, they're kind of just sitting in the ground. So I usually do one seeding um, end of July or beginning of August for the earliest ones I have. And then I'll do another seeding um, the later end of, of August, August 20 to 25, something like that. And I'll just do two plots and leave them, leave them throughout the winter. Um, 
for carrots, your key to germination is going to be keeping your soil moist during, during your germination period or else the carrots are not going to be able to um, come up through that crust. So that's going to be your biggest issue with germination. If, you have, if your soil gets at all crusted over or dry, it will kill the little sprouts or else they just won't be able to poke through it. So then if you have a flame weeder, doing a, a flame weeding after you seed can give another good jump start on those weeds. Um, and you got to be careful with it because if you wait too long, you're going to kill your carrots. So I've heard different, different methods. Um, one is to put a jar on top of your seeded bed and that climate, the little climate that it makes there is going to germinate your seeds a day or two earlier than they would outside of that. So when you see your little seedlings come up in there, flame weed it and then your other carrots are going to come up in a day or two. Um, the other method that I've used more um, is planting beets. So you put beets at the, you know, just a little pile at the end of your um, row. And then when the beets come up, beets come up two or three days before carrots would. And so when the beets come up, you'd flame weed it and then your carrots are going to come up after that. You can also just, you know, use your finger and dig a little bit and you'll be able to see the sprouts coming up. Um, so that's also a very good way to, to get ahead on your weeds because your weeds are going to come up faster than your carrots. So carrots generally take eight days to germinate. So you're going to have weeds a little bit by eight days. And if you hit those weeds, your carrots are going to come up and you're going to have a much, um, much less issue with weeds. So this, this last fall, the carrots that I did, I, I can't remember on all of them, but I know a lot of them I just flame weeded once before I, so I prepared the beds, um, left it for a week or so, flame weeded, and then planted. Some of them maybe I might have flame weeded twice, but planted, and then did the flame weeding after I seeded. Um, I, I had, I mean I had almost a quarter of an acre of carrots. Um, I weeded like, a tenth of them. Um, most of them I didn't weed at all. And it wasn't because there was no weeds, but the carrots had enough of a head start on the weeds that they, it wasn't like harming the, the carrots. So, you know, it makes it a little harder when it comes to harvesting if you've got weeds in there. But um, with the little bit of preparation I did, it got the carrots head start enough that I didn't have to weed. Um, and it was late enough in the fall that with that flame weeding and all, it, cut, it killed the grass. So the weeds that I had coming up were like winter weeds that just kind of like stay on the ground and they don't cause as much of an issue. But I'm still, my goal next fall is going to be to have a better prepared seed bed and do that month in advance and I think that wouldn't have to weed it all and you definitely wouldn't have um, the issues that I had this year even though I didn't spend much time weeding.
So, talking about varieties, um, Bolero is the winter carrot that we have stuck with for many, many years. Um, they have been a very good, you know, uniform size. Um, they're amazingly sweet. Um, any winter carrot, if you have winter carrots, it doesn't matter the variety, any carrot is going to be way sweeter than than uh, spring or summer just because of the cold weather. Um, after you have a few frosts, your carrots, the sugar content is just so much higher. So Bolero is the one that, that I've grown for the last few years. Um, this last year, I tested a new, a new um, variety that had just come out um, in high mowing seeds. I believe it was high mowing. Johnny's doesn't have it. Um, and it was supposed to be a much sweeter carrot in the winter. And it was supposed to have an amazing storage life, like nine months in good conditions with humidity and temperature and all being right. Um, and so we tried it. We didn't do a whole lot. Um, but our first, I had part of our first planting and part of our second planting with Dulceva. The first planting, well, I mean, I guess it was because I hadn't really paid attention to the days to maturity and the difference. So I'm not exactly sure what Bolero is. I feel like it's 70 to 80 and Dulceva was like 100 and some. Um, so my first planting, when I went to dig them, they were just really small. And so your pounds per bed is going to be way less. Um, and then my second planting, we just got into them. Um, we're just finishing digging all our carrots. So we had like two rows left and we dug the first of the Dulceva from my latest planting um, just last week. And they were better, but they had a very big variation in size. So there was a lot that were good, and then there was a lot that were like unusable, kind of small. Um, whereas the Bolero, like we have seconds sometimes, but it's not because of size. They're pretty, pretty uniform in size. And the Dulceva, I was throwing out a fair amount just because they were really small. So the other pro that they have um, that they've been promoting is their storage life. I can't say on that because I haven't stored them. Um, they say they get sweeter as they store. Now the other, the other um, pro to the Dulceva um, is they're organic. Bolero is not organic seed. Um, and you know if you're certified organic you have to have organic seed but um, so Dulceva is an organic seed and it is open pollinated so you could save your seed from the Dulceva whereas from the Bolero you're not going to be able to do that. Um, Mocum is another spring and summer variety. We haven't, we've grown them I guess um, but I don't think that 
there's the one that we always grow is yaya um, for our spring and summer. The mokum is one that Curtis Stone really promotes as a as a really good um, spring and summer carrot. We've grown both of them, but um, there wasn't really that much of a difference, so we we uh, have stuck with the yaya, and that one is also an organic seed, whereas the mokum is not. So. Those are the varieties that we've dealt with, um, and I guess the uh, the two that you know we really stick with is the bolero for the fall and winter, and the yaya for spring and summer. All right, so carrots don't have. There's not really that much, if you can deal with your weeds, if, you're not, if, you don't, if your carrots don't come overcome by weeds, then there's not a whole lot of disease and issues that you're gonna run across. But this is, this is the biggest one we've come across. Um, and it's really only been an issue in our overwintering carrots. Um, you know, we'll have a little bit maybe in the <coughs> spring and summer, but it's not much, much of an issue, but the rust fly, um, they, they're gonna lay their eggs in the early spring, in the late summer, which is kinda like when you're gonna be planting a lot of your carrots. Um, um, so, ways to combat them is a floating row cover or a insect netting over your whole crop. So which for us is kind of unrealistic because insect netting is really expensive. So that would be over your whole crop and buried or somehow attached securely on the ground all the way around. Um, and that's gonna be pretty, pretty foolproof. Um, they're not going to be getting through that. And then, you know, the other thing is going to be understanding the life cycle in your area and trying to plant um, in different timing than when they're going to be laying their eggs um, to avoid that. Crop rotation um, is going to help, but it's not going to be, it's not going to cure it. So this is what we tried this year, and it didn't really work, but I don't know if it worked some or if this year was just not as bad, because last year, by this time in January, our carrots were worthless. Like, we would dig a whole row, and we'd have, I mean, they, they weren't worth anything. So we had 500 foot of carrots that we just left in the field, because it wasn't worth digging. But this year we really haven't had um, much of any issue. So the interesting thing is that these flies only fly like two feet off the ground, maybe three feet max. So you can do a vertical barrier, you can do a fence um, that's you know this high off the ground and it's gonna keep them from being in your crop. So it's kind of a little bit of a you know, we had this barrier 
little barrier around our carrots and everybody's asking what it is and tell them it's a fly fence. It doesn't really make much sense. But anyway, they only fly that high off the ground. So that is um, going to be the most economic for covering a big area. So we still have, we tried, we put little rebar in the ground and then we cut row cover to, you know, three feet wide or whatever. And then we used, um, they're like office, um, like paper clip things, but um, I don't know what they're called. They're like the black, yeah, binder clips or something um, that went around, around the rebar and clipped the row cover on there. But it just wasn't strong enough and the wind would like blow it off. Um, so it was up for a while, but it kind of fell down. What, what we've thought of as um, the ideal is like a construction, you see, and construction sites, they have those, um, like the woven ground cloth um, fencing with wooden stakes, like sewed into it or something. Um, and I've seen those online. There was, there was like a three foot by a hundred foot. It was like 30 bucks. So, you know, for covering one of our plots, which is 40 by a hundred, it would be like $90 or something, $100, um, which is going to be way cheaper than covering the whole thing with insect netting. So that's something we're going to try next year is that kind of um, fencing because the one we tried this year didn't really work out. So if you keep your weeds out and keep your rust fly out, you're going to probably get a pretty decent harvest. Um, this year we have struggled a little bit with a rot. I don't really know what it is. Um, and we've had a pretty wet fall and winter. And then in, in the one field that we've struggled more, there's kind of like a little bit of a dip and it just always stays a lot more soggy. And from that area, we've found um, it'll just like rot a black spot in your carrots. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's from too much water and moisture in that one spot. But other than that, we haven't really had any other pester issues. So when it comes to harvest, if you're selling at a farmer's market, or even for our CSA, we like it better, um, the carrots with the tops. They're gonna just be a lot more attractive to people. And we sell a large amount of carrots at farmer's market. Um, that was bunched carrots, all of them just going to one farmer's market. Um, you know, we'll sell 60 or 80 bunches of carrots in our three hour market. Um, so they're always going to sell better with the tops. So you're going to fork them, pull them up, and then you're going to bunch them in the field. We found is going to be, it's just the, the easiest and the least that you have to handle them. If you're pulling them up, put them in bins, and then taking them in and bunching them inside, it's just more handling. So um, usually what we do, we'll do it with two people. We'll go along, fork it, and one, people, one person will be forking pulling them out of the ground and just either laying them, you know, right there or kind of piling them up. And then the next person is going to be coming through, grabbing their amount, rubber banding it and just following you like that, um, which works really well. And then 
This is especially in the winter. Um, you know, in the summer, in the spring, a lot of our carrots are inside, and so they're not going to, you know, the soil is not going to be as wet or muddy if it's rained um, for harvesting. And so if you're harvesting in pretty dry soil, you're not going to have it, like, um, clinging on the carrots. But in the, in the winter, you know, a lot of times we're harvesting in just really heavy mud. And our, I mean, our soil is very clay and very heavy and it just sticks to your carrots. So, you know, you're going to try and want to try and get as much dirt off in the field as you can or else you're going to have loads of mud in your washing station. So here's um, when, when we're digging for market or with the tops, we're going to use um, one of the forks. We have that root broad fork. Um, I feel like a regular broad fork works just as well almost. Um, you know, it pulls, it loosens the soil enough to pull your carrots out. Of course, if you live somewhere where you've got real nice clay, I mean not clay, uh, sandy soil, you might not even have to fork. But for us, we definitely do. So one of the forks is what we're going to use for um, if we're harvesting with the tops. Now we have the, in the right top, the green. Um, it's a mulch lifter, and we have come to find that it's pretty useful on a lot of things. We'll dig our potatoes with it, and this year, for the first time, we've been digging our carrots with it. So the discs, there's like discs on the side in the middle. We pulled those off, and then um, our, our farm, you know, we're set up on a 30-inch bed, and in the fields we have 18-inch pathways, but our tractor is wider than that. So we'll attach it, and then on the three-point hitch, we can offset it. So we'll push it offset to one side as much as we can, tighten it down there, and then we'll have to go over our bed. It's kind of, you know, the bed is, the tractor is not straight over the bed. It'll dig your carrots, and then you have to pull all those carrots before you can do your next bed. So you're, you're running over your beds a little bit, but the time it saves is huge. So we've been doing that in the winter. Um, the bar underneath is, would be an easier carrot digging bar. And um, Ben Hartman, who has a lean farming book, um, that's what he uses. He uses it for his root crops. And it's just a you know, narrow little bar. And I guess it would be a lot easier to pull. Your tractor would be able to be a lot smaller. Like the, the other one is a lot more a lot bigger and it would have a lot more resistance in the ground, I guess. Um, so that's, you know, on the scale that we're on doing, you know, three to 500 pounds of carrots a week in the, this time of year in the winter, you know, it's a lot to fork by hand. So that's been a huge thing this winter is, is using that digger. So with the washing, of course, this is also um, with our soil. It can be very clay and sticking to your carrots. So we found that the carrots wash a lot easier if they soak ahead of time. So we've got um, a black tote, like a maybe 10 inch deep um, black tote container. And we'll just lay all the bunches in there like 
upright, so you lean them against the back and just lay all your bunches in there, fill up with water, and then you'd just be, you know, grabbing them from there and washing them like that. And they might not soak for too long, but even just a little bit of time will help. Um, and then we'll spray them just with a hose, a hose nozzle. Um, and one thing with the tops, just a small thing, but something that we've realized, if you, if you hold, your, hold your top or hold your bunch and kind of point the roots at yourself and you're spraying like this, all your dirty water is running into your tops. So then you get to market and all your tops are kind of like full of dirt and grime and stuff, which doesn't really look that great. So just the little adjustment of holding your bunch more upright and spraying your roots like that makes a big difference in how the tops look. And then you also don't have to like spray through the tops and shake them out and try and get them clean. Um, so in the winter, none of our carrots have tops. Um, so we wash them with a pressure washer, which works amazingly. And in the winter without the tops, a lot of times we will soak them overnight. So if we harvest in the evening, we'll put them in bins, fill them up with water and soak them overnight. And we've noticed, we have not noticed any um, taste difference. Um, they're still just as crisp and just as sweet. So it speeds up the washing at least by 50%. And with a pressure washer, we can wash 100 pounds of carrots with two people, 100 pounds of carrots in like 10 minutes. Um, so what we do, these, these uh, green tote containers, we'll take our carrots out of the soaking bin, put them in the, in the container, and do them like maybe like three layers deep, like not that deep, but um, deep enough that they're not like flying all over the place. So there's some mass, but it's also shallow enough that they can move. So then we'll use our pressure washer and we'll have one person, we've got like pallets set up. We'll have one person that's filling up these bins and setting them on the pallets and then taking off the clean carrots on the backside and then the other person there just pressure washing. And you can damage your carrots and if you do, um, you know, if you just like slightly damage them, you're not gonna notice it until they've sat in storage for a little bit and then they're kinda gonna look like kind of white, they get like scabby or like they've been sanded or something. Anyway, so you have to be careful with that and it will, for whatever reason, it'll mess up with the flavor. So like a carrot that's been damaged by the pressure washer seems to be really bitter after it's been in storage for a little bit, which is kind of strange, but anyway, it's just something we've noticed. So we have tried to, to um, you know, if you stay, maybe 16 inches from your carrots, um, our rule of thumb is just don't get your nozzle in the bin. If you're above the bin the whole time, we haven't had any, any um, issue with damaging the carrots. Of course, I'm sure pressure washers vary as far as, you know, the pressure that they're gonna come out with. So, but for us, that's, that's been our, you know, set. If you don't put your nozzle down into the bin, you're not gonna damage your carrots and it's been working great. Um, so that's how we do, do our winter washing. And I mean, we just, we can go through carrots so fast. And the difference of the, wa the uh, soaked carrots and the unsoaked carrots 
is huge on, on those. Um, this is our processing. This is for, um, for all of our stores and CSA. We put them in these bags. And then we've got this little taper that's super quick. So our bags are kind of deep. So once you seal them off, you've got a big top. But with this bag taper, um, you fill your, fill your bag with carrots, kind of twist it right at the top of the what you know, at the, at the um, top where the full, twist it and then put it through that little slot and it tapes it and then you go out at the bottom like that and it cuts the top off. So it's just like, I mean, we can bag them super quickly and that's how we do most of our winter carrots besides the ones that we sell wholesale. Um, so our markets, um, in, the, in the spring and summer, we don't do the quantity that we do in the winter. So in the spring and summer, our only markets are pretty much the farmer's market and the CSA. Um, in the winter, we deal more with restaurants. We don't, we don't really deal directly with restaurants, but we have a food hub in Nashville that we, that we deal with restaurants through the food hub. So we'll list it up on the website, restaurants will order it, and then um, the, the uh, owner of that will just pick up all our stuff and deliver it to our restaurants. So we sell a lot that way, but it's, it's not like standing orders as much. Um, juice bars are a great way to move root crops, um, and especially carrots. We don't have, well, we do have one small or two small juice bars um, doing like 25 pounds a week or something. Um, and then through the, through the food hub, we also deal with some juice bars. Whoop. Um, we move through, through stores about, about 100 pounds of carrots a week. We've got two stores that are pretty consistent. And when you have winter carrots, I don't know, they just, we've had like no trouble moving them. They're just so much better and they're so much sweeter. And we, so we've got a couple stores, you know, we've been selling through them for many years and it's very easy, you know, just call them up once our carrots are ready and they say, yep, you know, we want them and we'll just deliver 60 pounds every week to them. Um, so it's a very, a very easy and consistent market. The other, the other one that we have dealt with that's through the food hub, but it's been a huge market is um, a cultures place. So they do like fermentation, um, like kimchis and those kind of things, um, the lactic acid fermentation. And they've been ordering, you know, 150 pounds every week. Um, and they'll skip some weeks, but it's been pretty consistent and huge amounts. So that's something that, you know, you might not think about, but both with carrots and beets, this one place will order just massive orders. Um, so looking for those kind of, those kind of places, 
you know, it was, we didn't search them out. They, it was just one of the restaurants that buys through this food hub, but it's been a huge, a huge market. So that's it on carrots. Um, we'll go to beets and run through some of the, some of the differences of beets. First of all, our four varieties that we grow, Red Ace is your standard um, purple beet. If you had um, salad at lunch today, the uh, beets, those were from us, they're the Red Ace beets, just your classic purple beet. Avalanche is the white ones. Um, Touchstone Gold are the orange. And then Chiogia, I don't know if there's, actually there is some Chiogia in there. They're more, they're more red, but their, unique, their uniqueness is in that they are striped inside. They're white and red, um, like striped. They're really pretty. Anyway, we don't grow a lot of those. They're not quite as, the Avalanche and the Chiogia are not quite as big sellers, but they're, they're pretty cool for variety. But the Red Ace and the Touchstone Gold are big sellers. Um, so again with the beets, um, during all of our farmer's market season, we're going to be selling them bunched with the tops. Um, like this, sometimes we'll do our bunches um, mixed colors. Um, we'll do some, but we also just do the, do the um, straight red and golden and stuff because a lot of people don't want to have the other ones. but. Anyway, it's really pretty having them all together like that. And on, on our bunches, we, if they're good sized beets, like you know, a decent sized beet, we'll just do three beets per bunch. Um, and that's our standard bunch. So with beets, we don't direct seed, we transplant. And this is because um, we struggle a lot, and I don't know if it's just in our area or if it's everywhere, but with the beets damping off, so they'll just kind of like wilt and die. Um, and so when you transplant, then you're not having sections of your field that don't have beets. So generally by the time you've got a good transplant going and you put them out in the field, um, they're ready to go and they're not, you're not gonna struggle with that issue um, the main thing with that is to not overwater. The damping off is um, from being too wet and fungus buildup, something like that. Um, actinovate is the one thing that we use um, to try and keep that from happening, either in your water, when you water them, you put actinovate in that, or you can do it in your soil mix. What is that called again? Actinovate. Yeah, and it's just a powder, so you'll either put it in your soil or. So we plant, we plant in an inch and a half soil block. If you use plug trays, um, you can adjust accordingly. Um, two seeds per block. So your beet, your beet seeds are actually bunched. Um, like one seed is not one beet plant. Um, so we put two seeds per block and we, when we go to transplant, if the block has more than four um, plants, then we'll pull one out. 
And if germination wasn't good and there's a couple blocks that just have one plant, we'll plant them together. Um, but you don't want more than, more than four plants per block. And then we plant them three rows per bed. So that's 12, 12 inches apart in row. And then six inches apart, um, I guess the in row spacing is six inches apart and the row spacing is 12 inches apart. So that's, those are really the, the, um, the transplanting and, and all is the main difference with the beets. Um, you can still do your stale seed bed, but anything that you're transplanting is not as critical because your plants are already got a big head start when you put them in the ground. And then having your, um, your rows wider apart and all, they're much easier to just cultivate. So it's not something that we really try to do too much on the beets. And as far as the market, um, we haven't done as much. Restaurants seem to, in our area at least, seem to be huge on beets. Like we sold, I mean, we could have sold so many more beets this winter, but um, you know, we were doing 100, 200 pounds of beets just to restaurants um, earlier. We've kind of sold out now, but um, we haven't really sold beets to stores as much. Um, we have a little bit, but wasn't, didn't seem to be quite as much of a, of a thing there. So other root crops that we do, um, which all of these pretty much are not things that we do for CSA or stores or stuff. They're kind of not as common stuff, but great if you do a winter CSA, there's something that'll hold you through this time of year. Like right now, it's hard to have stuff. Um, so rutabaga um, is something that we always try and put in a few rows of just because we can harvest them once it starts getting cold, put them in the storage, and then this time of year, once we're kind of running out of greens and stuff to put in our CSA, we'll start pulling out some of these things and they're just really nice. Although the rutabaga um, I put up, I think maybe they're becoming more popular or something because we haven't really sold them to restaurants before, but a couple weeks ago I listed up 50 pounds and they sold immediately. Um, so we'll sell excess, we'll try and sell excess to restaurants, but they're not, we don't really grow them just for that. And if it weren't for our CSA, I probably wouldn't grow any of these just because they're not quite as well-known and common. So storage radishes, um, daikon, um, which is your big long radish. Um, red meat, watermelon radish, they're kind of like green around the outside and red on the inside, real pretty. And then Nero Tondo, they're a, um, a black radish, really good storing radish. So those are the ones we do, harvest them in the fall and just store them. Um, and then the turnips, purple top turnips, um, are also something that we, we do for CSA for storing for the uh, later winter. 
Um, and then other specialty root crops would be radishes. These pink, pink beauty radishes, I think, are the ones in the picture. Um, French breakfast radishes, which are um, longer, red on top and white on the bottom, real pretty radishes. And these are like really mild, really tasty radishes and very popular for chefs and very good sellers at farmer's market and very quick turnover. So you plant them, they grow super fast, harvest them, and then your bed's ready to go again. Um, whereas the other ones are holding the ground for four months or something. Um, and then hacker eye turnips are a little white, um, small turnip and very sweet. And they're also quite popular and real good sellers for um, restaurants and farmers market and all. So all three of these are much better sellers at our farmers markets and much more popular with chefs and things like that. Um, and these things we would seed six rows per bed, all of those. So that's it on the uh, slides I have. We have eight more minutes. Um, so questions? Yeah. When, when do you plant the seeds and when do you transplant out in spring and fall for beets? Um, for beets, okay, so the question is on beets, when, when do we um, seed them and then when do we transplant them out? I can tell you when I normally seed beets. Um, as far as transplanting out, um, I mean, it just depends on your transplant size. You know, you just um, trying to think as far as like weeks. I would say probably like three weeks, but um, you just go by your transplant size. So if our transplants are seem to be kind of like stunted and they're not growing very well, then um, they're gonna be in the greenhouse longer. But I would say when they're about two to three inches tall, is when we uh, would normally transplant them out. So in the, in the um, fall for winter beets, um, beginning of August, I guess probably it would be a similar window as the carrots, um, middle of July through August. Most of mine were planted first half of August. Um, spring, you know, I, I have been pretty much um, growing in the winter for the last three years um, myself. And then, I mean, I help on our farm in the spring, but I'm not quite as, I don't know quite as much as far as specific times on that. I would say it's probably um, also similar to the carrots. Um, on the timing on that.
carrots dancing off? Um, I, uh, the question is, do we have problem with carrots damping off? Um, we haven't. Um, in, the, in the fall or winter, like now, the tops will um, die. And then we've, like, right now we've got parts of our field that are kind of, the tops are kind of like rotten and mushy, which is not very nice. But it's not affecting the carrots. Um, another thing that I'll probably start doing that I, I just saw um, something that Curtis Stone does. In the fall, for all his carrots that he's wanting to overwinter, once like the cold weather starts hitting and the tops, the carrots are like no longer really growing, he mows all the, or cuts all the tops. So there's, there's like no top on the carrots and then um, you don't deal with the rot on the tops which can, it can go down into your carrots. Um, but the, uh, the downside of that is I feel like, like on ours, we had pretty big tops almost all winter. And um, I feel like that is going to help with your um, frost protecting kind of thing. Like your ground is going to stay a lot warmer if you got the big tops on there. So another question. Um, do you ever have any ideas why sometimes beets come out misshapen in the wintertime? Yeah, the question is, um, do I have a, a uh, reason for why beets in the winter um, can be a weird shape? And I do not. Um, it's definitely true. Your beets in the winter can, they don't like, sometimes they just don't grow round and they'll kind of grow like up. It'll be a weird, and I really don't have an answer on that. But that is definitely a, a true observation that beets do grow different. But you do manage to get them round. Um, not all of them, no. No, I mean, it's not like all of our beets grow weird shape, but we definitely do have some in the winter. And a lot of times they'll be like a round bulb and then it'll kind of like go up a little bit. But no, we don't necessarily, all our beets in the winter are not necessarily as nice and round. Soil blocks. Do you make your own or purchase your soil blocks? All right, so the question is with soil blocks, do we make our own or purchase them? We make our own blocks, but we purchase the mix. Um, and the mix that we use is Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R, um, M, M1, is it just M? OM1, yeah, that's right. OM1, um, Berger OM1 is the mix that we use. And then we do press out all our blocks. Yes? What's your alternative to What's the alternative to flame weeding? Um, tarping would be the other alternative. And I did that um, more this last fall. It's just, if you're doing big areas, tarps can be pretty heavy. Um, so it's like harder to move them on and off. But tarps would be the alternative to flame weeding. The other alternative is to try, try and do a really shallow cultivation. So if you're not, if you don't have tarps or a flame weeder, um, you're going to use a collinear hoe or maybe a wheel hoe and try and just scrape like the very top of the soil so that you're going to kill your weeds, but you're not going to stir up new weed seeds. So that would be the alternative. Yes. When do you feed your 
When do we thin our carrots? Um, honestly, it's been years since I've thinned carrots. Um, so we just try and try and uh, get our spacing um, at the correct amount that we don't have to thin them. Um, our spacing in in row can be pretty tight, but um, if they've got enough space between each other, they're still going to fill out. Um, so I mean, if you have if you have a really thick row, so like if if they're like packed together in there, you're going to want to thin them. They're not going to get big at all. And you would want to do that, um, I guess, pretty much as soon as as soon as you can, as soon as they're big enough to really like make sure they're all surviving and you know all the carrots that you are there you know are going to grow, then you can go through and thin them. But if you wait too long, um, then you're going to end up uprooting. Now the other thing is, I do know some people wait longer and they will try and sell all their thinnings as baby carrots. Um, I feel like it would be kind of a pain to thin them when they get that big, but seems to work for some people. But I would say if I was thinning them, I would just try and do it probably when they're like three inches tall and they don't really have hardly any root and they're going to be easy to pull out. All right, we got one more question or? Yeah, how, what size do your winter beets get to be? All right, the question is what size do our winter beets get to be? Um, winter beets are smaller overall I would say but you know we get a a uh, smaller than a tennis ball but bigger than a golf ball um, slightly smaller than a tennis ball is like a pretty nice winter beat now like I said our winter beats aren't as consistent and all um, so that would be like our ideal size and the bigger ones um, this last year, we actually had more success on beets, and we had some pretty good-sized winter beets, and we had some summer beets that were, like, huge. They're not really that good for farmer's market and stuff because people don't really want a massive beet, but for a lot of restaurants, they like it if they're going to peel it and stuff and chop it. It's, like, a lot of beet and not very much hassle. So a lot of restaurants do really um, like a bigger beet. So... I think our time is up. Thank you all for listening. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org